Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. On this episode of Newt's World... It has been one month since Russia's invasion of Ukraine began. And as we tape this, last night the Russians bombed a shopping mall in Kyiv. Putin and his army have continually targeted innocent citizens of Ukraine in this war, which by any standard should be considered war crimes. But the Ukrainian people have stood strong. Citizens have decided to arm themselves and resist the Russian invasion of their country. Not only should democracies around the world be in awe of the power a united and patriotic citizen can have. But we as Americans need look no further back in our history than April 19th, 1775, when the first shots were fired in Lexington, Massachusetts, beginning the Revolutionary War in the colonies. We have a duty to support Ukrainians in the fight for keeping their freedom. Here today to discuss what is happening on the ground in Ukraine, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Vlada Galan. She is a political consultant, having worked on campaigns in both the United States and Ukraine. She is the current president and chairman of the International Ukrainian Crisis Fund. She was born in Odessa, Ukraine. She moved to the United States with her mother at the age of eight. She currently lives in Georgia and also has a home in Kyiv, Ukraine. Vlada, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, it must be very difficult for you seeing what's happening to your home country and the attacks on civilians. The UN has confirmed 
902 civilian deaths, but concedes that the actual toll is probably much, much higher. The Ukrainian prosecutor general's office says at least 115 children have been killed and 148 injured. And according to the United Nations, nearly 3.4 million people have fled Ukraine. 80% of them are women and children. So tell me, first of all, what is your reaction in general to what has happened? I think my reaction is similar to many, and that is nothing short of shock. We've had many provocations from Russia over the years since the last war, but it's truly a shock and a surprise that it has gone this far across Ukraine. We've always had issues in the Lugansk and the Donetsk region. Those have been flaring provocations for years, but to see this as a nationwide attack, it's just truly the face of Russian aggression, which tells us that Putin is emboldened and will not stop. Chris and I have both been in Kiev in particular. We also, before Putin seized Crimea, we actually went to a conference at Yalta which as a historian was fascinating to be in the same palace that Roosevelt and Stalin and Churchill had met in. And things have changed so much since we were in Yalta. But one of the side effects, it seems to me, has been that Ukrainians, whether they speak Ukrainian or Russian, Ukrainians have become more self-aware as Ukrainians. And in a way, Russia's aggression over the last eight years has actually driven people in Ukraine closer together and created a clearer national identity. Was that your experience when you would visit? Absolutely. You know, I was born in Ukraine. I immigrated to the United States at the age of eight. I've worked in Ukraine in municipal elections over the last five years. I have a home in Kiev and spent quite a bit of time there, a minimum of one to two weeks a month. And over the last, I would say, eight to 10 years, it's been amazing to see that the Ukrainian language has become just more ingrained and more people simply speak the Ukrainian language versus the past. And it's just amazing to see the strong national identity that's developed within the Ukrainian people. Most people forget that Ukraine gained independence only in 1991 as it broke away from the Soviet bloc and as the Soviet bloc fell apart. And people also forget that presidents like Yushchenko, they look towards improved relations with the European Union and less towards Russia. And so we've started that breakaway even since 2005 is to really become closer to the West, become tighter as a nation, really develop more our language, which for many, many years has been rooted out. We were not allowed to speak the Ukrainian language for many, many years. People don't realize that kind of history. So yes, the national identity has really developed so much more as we've been allowed to be our own free nation nearing to the West. Wasn't there a two-year effort to become independent right after World War II? It actually required Soviet military to put down the people who were trying to become independent. Yes, absolutely. And if you look back, it wasn't just around that period. It's a history of Ukrainians always fighting for freedom, whether it was to speak their language, to follow their values. We survived a horrible famine that killed millions and millions of Ukrainians. They were targeting ethnic Ukrainians. It was really considered a genocide. People forget that kind of history. It's been a long fight for freedom, and we don't stop. I was very impressed when I was there with how magnificent some of the churches and seminaries, and how deep the history is. This was really, prior to 1220, the center of Russian civilization. And you see it when you're physically there. I had always had a sense that there was a very deep sense of pride 
in the history of their country, going back to the medieval period and its relationship with Byzantium. When you would go back, to what extent did you sense that people really not only did not want to be part of Russia, but sort of looked down on the quality of life and the quality of political freedom in Moscow compared with how open and dynamic and robust the political culture was growing in Ukraine? Well, you see in Ukraine, we've really had a real fight for freedom. And you can see the fact that we've gone through four or five presidents in the time period that Russia has had one who's really turned out to be a proper dictator. And the Ukrainians, in fact, after the Euromaidan and after the last war, one of the buildings was burned down in the capital of Kiev near Kreshatik. And the sign that they put over that building as they were reconstructing it said, freedom is our religion. And that really is kind of the slogan of the Ukrainian people. So over the years, the fight for freedom has been long. And yes, we see the quality of life in Russia. I have family that actually lives in Russia. And if you ask them what their pensions are like, they can't afford to buy meat for two or three months at a time. Ukraine also has an entire poverty sector, but it's nothing like what Russia sees. Political dissent is completely shut down. You see what they're doing with prison sentences for those that are currently protesting this war on the streets. I wouldn't say that Ukraine looks down on the Russians in a sense. It's more of a pity. We pity the fight that they're having. We pity how stagnant and where they've left off. But at this point, with this war, I think what's changing in the mindsets of Ukrainians is there's no more mercy. We don't want to give mercy anymore. We don't want to negotiate and compromise our territories and giving up our sovereignty. That's a negotiation we're not willing to make. So if anything, we've pitied the Russians in the past because the growth and the freedom that we've had over the last 20 years is very different to what they've experienced under one leader. Putin claims, in effect, that Ukraine has always been Russia. I was actually surprised in his major speech to the Russian people just before the war. He's actually criticized Lenin, which is very unusual in their system, and said Lenin was just wrong to treat Ukraine as though it was independent. But isn't that dangerous in the sense that he may actually believe that the Russian border should start at the Black Sea and that Ukraine should be an integral part of Russia, in which case it's pretty hard to see how you get to a compromise. Well, I think where we should start is the fact that Kiev and Rus existed hundreds of years before there was nothing but forest and swamp in Moscow. I think people also oftentimes don't understand the background in that history. So the truth is that Kiev as an epicenter existed way longer than you had any sort of Moscow. And Ukraine has always had its national identity. And it's a huge mistake on his part to assume that we should be a part of Russia. He bases his assumption on the fact that he claims that Lenin and Stalin essentially pitched up Ukraine. That's not a fact of history. But what you can gather from his rhetoric is the simple fact that he's an imperialist and that he really believes in rebuilding that Soviet bloc and that Soviet glory, which is long, long gone. And I think that Ukrainians have shown to be a worthy adversary and putting up a fight that he didn't imagine. Now, since 2014, when Russia invaded and annexed the Crimean Peninsula, the United States has actually committed over $5.4 billion in total aid to Ukraine. That includes the most recent. We 
provided three sovereign loan guarantees for about $3 billion. We provided $405 million in humanitarian aid. We spent almost $2 million to support 18 cultural preservation projects. I mean, my sense was that we were pretty committed to the success of Ukraine as an independent country. And when I would visit and visit with the American ambassador and on several occasions visited President Poroshenko, I always had the sense that there was a growing sense of confidence that this was going to work. Ukraine has been committed to freedom from the start and having an ally like the United States, who itself had its own journey to freedom, means the world to Ukraine and to the Ukrainian people. And we're going to win that battle. And if you notice, these aggressions, they flare up every so many years. If you look back over the last 20 years of the history in Ukraine, it's never been a peaceful period where Putin hasn't tried to meddle, where we haven't had a revolution. That's just kind of been the history. And it's really important that the United States and specifically President Joe Biden step up to the task to really give support that Ukraine needs. This is really critical for the Ukrainian people right now. The world is watching. And if we don't protect freedom in Ukraine, we have a lot greater risk of what stands ahead of us and what to be afraid of. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. One of the greatest surprises of this war has been watching President Zelensky sort of emerge as a genuine worldwide hero and as a real wartime president, which I think as a actor, comedian, people would have been very surprised in advance at how much he has sort of risen to the role. He's almost like Reagan in that sense, because, you know, Reagan late in his career made two movies with chimpanzees, so they could have compared notes in being actor comedians. Are you surprised at how much leadership Zelensky has shown? Yes, I'm I'm incredibly surprised. It's amazing because when Zelensky decided to run for president a few years ago, I actually had the honor of being in the room with him when he made that decision to run. And what you saw at that time was a leader who, one, wasn't sure that he wanted to put his family through it. He wasn't sure he wanted to give up the career that he had, and he was a total outsider. But if you looked at the political situation in Ukraine at the time, that is exactly what people wanted. People wanted an outsider. And the general wave of politicians was very negative. The sentiment towards them was negative. If you saw him at the time, I'd call him a green candidate. He wasn't a politician in any way. And then you saw his development and his growth as he fell into that role. But a real leader is tested in hot water. And that is what you've seen Zelensky go through to rise to the occasion, to reject the offer from the United States to move to a safe haven outside of the country and to relocate his family, he said no. And he said, I'm standing to fight with the people. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about his leadership, I don't know what will. So the fact that he returned to his work office and he's not scared. Yeah, He had some line about, I don't need transportation. I need ammunition. Yeah. He doesn't need a ride. <laughs> That's right. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. I was looking at his career I just for a second, I want to read part of Zelensky's career, because in some ways he kind of beats Reagan in terms of being implausible. He founds Kvartai 95 Studio, which is a TV production company. That's back in 1997. Then he graduates from Kiev National Economic University with a law degree. Then, uh, this is the one that started me down the road. In 2006, Zelensky won the Ukrainian version of Dancing with the Stars. Now, I would say at that point, he may be in the same league as Trump with The Apprentice, but he clearly has surpassed Reagan. I can't quite imagine Reagan doing Dancing with the Stars. But then in 2014, he voiced Paddington in the Ukrainian version of the film and again did so in the sequel, Paddington 2. I think this is very clever. In 2015, he stars in the TV show Servant of the People, where he played the role of an anti-corruption politician who eventually becomes Ukrainian president. So you have a guy who is in Servant of the People, in your living room, in a pleasant TV show, being an anti-corruption politician, and then he decides to run for president. I mean, it's almost like he had thought this through and set the stage for his own emergence. When he was making that decision, do you think in his mind he thought he'd laid the groundwork? 
you know, at the time when they were producing the films and the show, I think he had no idea that it would lead to any sort of presidential run. I don't even think that was in the cards for him. And I say that because in some of the meetings that I had with him before he made the presidential run, he was not sure if he wanted to run. He said, I, you know, I never thought we'd get to this point and how funny. And I think what's even more funny is his party is named after the movie which I think is such a funny reality of the situation. But he's proven to be quite serious. No, I think he never anticipated it himself. That's right. So he has a Servant of the People party based on Servant of the People TV show. It would be almost as if West Wing had produced a presidential candidate on the West Wing ticket. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And that party won the first single-party majority in Ukrainian history in the parliament in July of 2019. He runs and he defeats President Poroshenko with 73% of the vote, which is a true national landslide. But as I understand it, there was sort of a sense afterwards that he wasn't as dynamic and as compelling a president as he had been as a candidate, and that people didn't see him as the kind of hero he has become in the last five or six weeks. I mean, would that be an accurate statement that before the war, he was okay, but he wasn't a heroic figure? You're absolutely correct. Before the war, there was a sense to a degree that people had a bit of buyer's remorse. And that necessarily isn't the fault of Zelensky as much as people had wanted to move away from the era of the politicians. People put so much hope in him that I don't think any candidate in the history of Ukraine could fulfill that role that people had envisioned for him. They really wanted change to come overnight in 24 hours. And that just isn't the case. And no leader can fulfill that kind of role. So to a sense, people said, oh, we elected this new leader and things didn't change overnight. But as we know, change takes time. And I think that people expected this national hero. And in fact, What's really ironic about the situation is his approval ratings have gone through the roof. They're in the 90s, and they actually got that hero that they voted for. And he actually rose to the occasion and became, I think, everything and more that any Ukrainian had hoped for in him. In fact, I think that this war has really made Zelensky and made not only a legacy for him, but any election in the future, I think for him, looks really optimistic. When the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian people, turned out to be much, much tougher than anybody expected. You'll remember that General Milley, who I think is the worst chairman of the Joint Chiefs in American history, having been totally wrong about Afghanistan, turned around and said, oh, the Russians would be in Kiev in three days, which is what I actually think Putin thought. But when, in fact, the Russians couldn't get there and Ukraine didn't collapse, it struck me that they have sort of a stalemate with the Ukrainians beginning to gain momentum in expelling the Russians, Putin then shifted to a terror campaign. And that's why you have all of these, particularly like in Mariupol, where there's just unending, horrifying assault on civilian parts of the city. I get a sense that that has had an effect on Zelensky in that watching his people get brutalized, you know, the terror campaigns do produce terror, and that he keeps talking about the desire for a negotiated settlement. Do you think that There is, in fact, a potential agreement that Putin could take, or do you think that anything that the Ukrainians would agree to is less than Putin would demand? Putin finds himself in a very, very tough position because, as you said, 
they expected to take Kiev within just a few days. And that's evident by the amount of supplies the troops brought, by how prepared they were, and the kind of troops that they sent into the country and how they were equipped. That didn't take place because what people don't understand, the Russian soldiers on the ground do not understand why they are fighting. Many of them were told that they're sent on peacekeeping missions. Many of them were then told to fight. And many of them don't understand the reason they are fighting their neighbors. The morale is very low among the Russians. The Ukrainians have a fight because if they lose, we lose our country. There's a lot on the line for us, and I think we are much stronger than they ever anticipated and have employed some very interesting tactics, whether it's flooding river regions that causes issues with tanks getting through and convoys getting through to dropping Molotov cocktails with drones. I mean, the Ukrainians have applied some really interesting tactics. And if we would give them anti-ship missiles, they could literally drive the Russian fleet in the Black Sea away from Ukraine. Absolutely. And we keep being focused on close the sky over Ukraine. It's clear that that's not a move that NATO or the United States is going to get behind. But there are many other things like that that can be done. So now the question is, what is the way out for Putin? He has to save his reputation and save his face as a strong leader. In my opinion, that can no longer be salvaged based on everything that's happened to date. From the fact that they are attacking cars with children in them, that say children on the car that Russian troops helped fill the cars with children only to shoot at them as they leave through a humanitarian corridor. So I think at this point, the only negotiation that could take place would have to be one where Zelensky and Putin meet face to face, where Putin does not put an offer on the table that questions the sovereignty of Ukraine or breaks off more territories of Ukraine. And I just don't know what that kind of offer looks like. To me, there is no solution there because Putin is very far away from the reality of the situation. And when it's It's very difficult to negotiate with a leader in that kind of position who just doesn't want to accept reality for what it is. But I think we have to be realistic that no matter what happens after this war, Putin is done. There is no future for him. Russians are fleeing their own country to Finland. The ones that can flee to Europe are trying. There is a brain drain going on in the country. And if you ask me, they already lost. Was it worth it? No, it wasn't. And while the terror campaigns that are being run hurt morale in Ukraine, the Ukrainians are very tough. And even the Ukrainians in the occupied regions are saying, we don't care, kill us. We'd rather be with Ukraine than be with Russia. There are some reports that they're actually shipping Ukrainians into Russia. I don't know if that's true or not. That is a report that I've heard. That would be a war crime and would also be horrifying. I did a newsletter yesterday basically saying that as long as the Russians are engaged in a terror campaign against civilians, that the United States should give Ukraine surface-to-surface missiles and cruise missiles and should say openly that Russian airfields and Russian missile sites are legitimate targets. Because I think this idea that it's one-sided, they get to fly from safety to bomb you, but you're not allowed to do anything that would affect them. I think the morning they began losing airfields, you would see Putin face a huge choice. I mean, he could escalate, in which case he really would be crushed because NATO would get engaged. Or he can say, all right, maybe it's time to actually negotiate because the war becomes, at some point, I think, and it may be within two weeks, that the Russians run out of ammunition and run out of trucks. It was a very interesting study that their truck system is breaking down dramatically and that they literally may not be able to get either ammunition 
or food or petroleum to the front within two weeks, just because the Russian military turned out to be much weaker than all of us thought they would. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, you were in Kiev still on February 15th. The war was about to start, but what was the mood at that point? There was a great job done by the leadership in Ukraine and in Kiev specifically. I work with the mayor Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, at the time to manage that kind of panic. And there was no run on food. There was no run on the banks. It was actually a very kind of calm mood. And people said, we don't really think a nationwide attack at this level could take place. So that was kind of the sentiment at the time. And I live in Podol next to Andreevsky Church, a very historic church there. And I took a walk in the morning before I flew out that day. And what caught me off guard is that KLM actually canceled my flight. And I thought that was so strange because it tells you the situation is becoming much more serious. So I quickly rebooked myself on Turkish Airways, which was still flying at the time. And even their flights were completely full. And I actually walked past the British embassy and there was a few staff outside and it said, I thought you guys were evacuating the embassy. And they said, yeah, for the most part we are. And I thought, no way this is going to happen. The city is so peaceful, so calm. You didn't see military station anywhere. There was not a military mobilization happening at that time. Everything seemed so peaceful. 
people. But yet in the West, I had many friends spread across the US and internationally at the diplomatic level, at the congressional level saying you need to get out of Ukraine, you need to get out of Ukraine. And sure enough, you know, after I left, it's evident kind of what took place and what happened in a very short period of time. And it was really shocking to me, because you didn't feel that walking through the streets of Kiev just a few weeks ago. When the war did break out, you started the International Ukrainian Crisis Fund. Why did you establish the nonprofit and how is it related back to Ukraine? Well, I have to tell you that as a Ukrainian sitting in a hotel room halfway across the world, I felt completely helpless. In fact, my first response was, I'm going to grab a gun, I'm going to grab a vest, and I'm flying to Ukraine. And my fiance said, you're absolutely crazy. That's not the way that you make a change. You can make a strong change here in the U.S. and start to rally support. And that's when kind of the idea came to me of organizing a 501c3 nonprofit, the International Ukrainian Crisis Fund. The goal of the fund was centered on saving and protecting lives during one of the largest humanitarian crises since World War II. And so we created this organization to basically set up distribution centers across the country to focus on food distribution, to focus on medical aid distribution to the hospitals across the country, and then basic supplies like diapers, formula, but even the greatest need, as we've seen 10 million refugees have fled Ukraine. And the biggest part of what we've done so far is just go to very dangerous areas, risking the lives of our very own volunteers to pull people out and provide them with food and send them to the borders specifically women and children from places like Irpin, which we saw all over the news, stationed there under the bridge, many, many people getting out. We had our teams there pulling people out. And the organization has received overwhelming support and raised thousands of dollars. We are partnered with Fund Future Kiev, which is the mayor of Kiev's, one of his foundations, Vitaly Klitschko's foundation. And one of our board members is actually Vladimir Klitschko. The brothers that are bigger than life. We have a huge bipartisan board of former congressmen, senator, ambassadors, and we've seen an overwhelming response and support and just in three weeks have been able to deliver life-saving aid. And your family's also involved. Now, your 18-year-old brother and your 13-year-old brother have escaped from Ukraine. How were they able to get out? Yes, my 13-year-old brother and his stepmom exited Ukraine via one of the borders with Poland. They are now safe in Germany. And my 18-year-old brother was stuck in Lviv for a very long time. My father is unable to leave. He's under the age of 60 and has to remain to fight. And he's actually fighting on the front lines in Odessa. And it's kind of a bit of a horror story. For an entire week, he was too shy to tell me that he didn't have a bulletproof vest. And as soon as I found out, I sent a whole wave of vests over there and aid to them. But he said, I want you to help other people. You know, I didn't want you to focus on me. And I said, Dad, you cannot be fighting without a vest. And that just goes to show some of the shortages that exist in the country. I've had relatives that just a few nights ago fled across the Romanian border that had to walk through minefields to get out. And that's terrifying. I'm curious, how do these things get delivered? How do you ship bulletproof vests into a battle zone? 
Well, I have to tell you, it's been a huge challenge because most countries have an export issue with that. You need special export licenses. What we've been able to do is work out agreements in various countries like the Czech Republic that still has those products. We receive an export license, been working very close with their governments and the Ukrainian government. And that is shipped to our warehouses in Poland. And we put supplies either on trains from Warsaw or on large cargo cars that are going from the Polish border or the Romanian border. So that is how we're getting supplies in. And then our volunteers are unloading them on the other side. On our show page, we're going to show people how they can donate to the International Ukrainian Crisis Fund. And I think to make all of this really come home for people, with your permission, we're going to play this clip of your phone conversation with your father, who is still in Odessa fighting. And do you mind translating what he says for us, because he's speaking in Russian. Yes, of course. I'd be happy to do so. Hello. Hello, Papa. Привет. Как дела? Привет, Ладушка. Ну, что там у вас? Тут немножко... У нас, ну, бомбят нас. Держимся, воюем и будем отстаивать Украину до конца. Молодцы. Как самочувствие, как, как друзья, как друзья в Херсоне, там, в Миколаеве? Ой, там очень тяжело. Там бомбят еще больше, и ракеты падают. У моего товарища ракета упала между заборами, не взорвалась. Он вышел и говорит, слава богу, что она тут застряла и не взорвалась, потому что если бы она взорвалась, его бы хата полностью пострадала. Кошмар. И ты пользуешь бронежилетку, которую я тебе прислала? Конечно, ладушка. Меня бронежилет спасает. Я одеваю его и хожу с ними сказкой. Это, ну, я горжусь этим, что у меня такая дочь. Спасибо, пап. Спасибо. Ну что, я рада, что все хорошо, как держитесь. Я очень горжусь тобой, что ты остался. Кто-то должен, кто должен защищать нашу страну. Да, ты прав. Поэтому мы тут и остались. Молодцы, молодцы. So in the call with my father, I just call him and ask him how he's doing. And he says to me, look, it's really hard. They're bombing us, but we're really standing firm and we're going to defend Ukraine to the end. And I tell him, look, dad, I'm really proud of you. But how are our friends in Kherson and Mykolaiv, which are cities that are currently being occupied? We have a lot of friends there. And he says, look, it's very hard for them. They are bombing them nonstop. My friend had a missile land in between his and his neighbor's yard between the fences, and it didn't explode. And he said, you know, he came outside and he thanked God for the fact that it didn't explode. He said it was a miracle. And he explained to him that if it had exploded, his house would be gone. And, you know, I say to my father, this is horrible. You know, are you at least using the bulletproof vest I sent you? And he said, of course, the vest is saving my life. And I wear it with the helmet you sent me because he also didn't have a helmet. And he said to me, I'm really proud to have such a daughter. And it just, it makes me tear up because it was just, it was a very emotional call. And the sad part is that's a call I have with him every day. I say to him, thank you, dad. Thank you. And I'm glad you're okay. Hang in there. I'm proud that you stayed. I'm proud that you fought. 
and says, someone has to defend our land. And he says this every day. And, you know, I said to him, you're right. And he said, that is why I stayed. And I said, Dada, you know, I applaud you. It's hard to do something like that. It's very emotional. We have calls like that almost every day. Every day, it's a new wave of emotions. I want to thank you. I hope that that drives home for everybody listening, how real and how personal this is. And I hope it leads them to go to the Ukrainian Crisis Fund, which can be found at www.ukrainecrisisfund.com. And it will also be on our show page. And I want to thank you for joining me. I think you clearly are focused on helping Ukraine and helping the Ukrainian people. And I think you really have helped illuminate for all of our listeners how real this is and how important this is. So, Lada, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's been an honor to be with you, and I thank you for sharing the stories of Ukrainians. Thank you to my guest, Vlada Galan. You can get a link to donate to the Ukrainian Crisis Fund on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners at Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich, and this is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.